Welcome to the Socially Distant Craft Club Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Cockrell. Today's Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. This is Season 2, Episode 4, titled Designing Woman. I had the chance to sit down and talk with Nikki Reeves, my old friend who just happens to be a molecular biologist. She also happens to be a knitwear designer, a plant mom, and she does a whole bunch of other stuff too. I don't want to spoil anything. So without further ado, pull up a chair, pull out your project, and settle in for this episode of the Socially Distant Craft Club Podcast. See, this is great. I get a chance to actually ask you questions that I have always wondered about and never had a chance to like actually sit down and ask you about it. So outside of crafting and stuff, which we'll get to in a second, but outside of all that, what do you do? I am a molecular biologist. Um, I work in a DNA sequencing lab and we, I just help people prepare their DNA so that it can be sequenced just that you just you just help people prepare their dna so it can be sequenced or i prepared for them (laughs) (laughs) i've heard people talk about making sandwiches that sounded more elaborate than what you just described that's crazy so like so you're a scientist Mm -hmm. oh my gosh that is so cool yeah it's fun it's really for me it's fun um and, and you mentioned before like I guess my explanation was just really pretty basic. And one of my philosophies is that if I can't explain what I do to regular people, then I really don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So, you know, so that's why um, whoever I explain science to, I really try to explain it as plainly as possible because it's not as difficult as people think it is. Mm. And I try to knock it off of this pedestal. So... Well, I think it's really impressive. How did you get into this? How did, like, mm-hmm. I mean, because I remember why when I, you, you're asking, like, why science? Or- why, how? Like, I remember, like, I liked, I like watching space shows. I'm fascinated by science. Like, the longer I live, the more into it I am. But I remember when I was in high school, I was like, get me out of here. This is not my thing. Um, I know that I am not everybody. But I'm just curious, like, how did you how did you come to have a job as a molecular biologist? How was that what you did? Um, I think so. I've always let's see. Just as a kid, most of the questions that I had about things were required like a scientific explanation. You know, and so I think that because of that, I was drawn to I was drawn to science. Like, if 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 I asked you why are the leaves on the trees green, it's not enough for you to say to me because God made them that way. I'm like, okay, well, what did you put in the leaves to make them green? You know, so I wanted to know things on like a very basic level and I think that I was drawn as I got older drawn to molecular biology because the molecular biology is the study of proteins and DNA and how they interact with each other um 
And so I can get answers to questions at a very detailed level. Mm. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> How long did you have to go to school to be a molecular biologist? Um, I stopped at the master's degree, so let's see. It took me about four years to get the master's degree. That's just because the department kept running out of money and stuff. But, um, but yeah, you do the standard, you know, undergrad and then extra four years, and then I was done. And originally, I wanted to go for my PhD, but by the time I was done for the mat with the master's, I was like, okay, I'm good. I was I was ready to get my life started, you know. Right. So, I mean, I would love to go back and get a PhD at some point, but mm-hmm. I think, and maybe this is the wrong way to think about it, because I mean, I'd also like to get a tattoo at some point, and I'm starting to get to where that would be, but I'm like, if I can't decide what I want to get a tattoo of, or even what I want to have for lunch, I think I need to get that sorted out before I think about committing to some kind of a PhD program. Like, what would I possibly want to spend all that time and energy focusing on? You know, what could I contribute that hasn't already been talked about? So outside of science, you do all kinds of crafty things. What what do you do? I do too many crafty things. I do, so primarily um, I'm a knitwear designer. Um, I do knitwear designing and I also knit other people's stuff. Uh, I do crochet. I haven't really crocheted anything in a while. Crochet was the thing I did first. And then I taught myself to knit because I wanted a a sweater that l- didn't look old fashioned. Kind of, I mean, you know, that's what, at the time, that's what I thought of, of crocheted sweaters. I thought that they were just really old fashioned. Now they're back. Yeah. And, and now, you know, there's some, really modern things that people are doing with crochet. And so, you know, I don't think that way about crochet anymore. Um, So I knit, I crochet, I make cards. That's really gotten me through this whole pandemic thing. Um, What else do I do? I make candles. I have gotten one of your candles. I'm so, I love it. It's it's long gone. It's it's gone on to glory because I have I burned that like every day this summer. <laughs> I can send you another one. I can I will send you one. You heard it here first. She's gonna send me an original. <laughs> so you're a knitwear designer, you're crocheting, you're knitting, you're making candles, you're making cards. Do you do anything else? Um, I'm trying to limit it. To that, you know, I've been going around my apartment and there's some like remnants of old crafty things that I used to do. And I'm just like tossing it like macrame, you know. cross stitch. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I got really heavily into um, plants during plants. Yeah. Okay. Man, that is addictive. That's a slippery slope. It is. And you know what? It's just over the year, I've the past year, I've learned what what I will put up with when it comes to plants. Like, you know, in the beginning, I was really excited. It was like I had a huge science experiment going on in here. Like, I have humidifiers. I have, like, you know, meters to measure the 
water level, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but I really don't want to do have to do all that for a plant. Like, cause some of the plants that I have are, they were rare plants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they weren't just, you know, philodendrons or pothos. They were like some of the more, the plants that required humidifiers and stuff like that. But some of them just like, you know, okay, I'm sick of you. Um, mostly because the ones that I really like, they're prone to having, um, spider mites. I don't know if you know anything about it. I don't, and I don't. But I, like, I don't want to experience that. <laughs> spider mites, tiny, um, tiny insects that look like, you know, they look sort of spidery. Um, you don't know you have them. Like they'll, you you see evidence of them a lot when you see like the webbing. Um, but the plants that I was really in, that I was really into, they were prone to to having those, and so I just got to the point I was like no I don't I don't like you anymore and so I tossed them I just tossed them and if I did not have a good time with this plant I would just throw in the garbage (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) like right now I'm looking at some plants like they're about to they're about to go the way of the dumpster because (laughs) (laughs) the days are numbered I know what is there is some kind of scourge that it's like in the middle of winter, it's like a little gnat. I don't know where these things come from, but like you're sitting on the couch, it's 14 degrees outside, nothing is alive. And all of a sudden there's like a little gnat buzzing around your face. It, I thought I was like, like in the shining or something. I thought I was losing my mind in this frozen yeah. tundra. Do I don't know. Oh, we do. Yeah, we have... We used to have a ton because we our old apartment had a lot of windows. And this one, we're sort of in the garden level apartment, which is ironic that we don't really have very good light. And it's the garden level. We do have the backyard, of course. So we're, we're going to get into that. But we do. We do have plants, not as many as we did, but, um, you know, a lot of succulents. And we've got um, like snake plants, I guess, or like mother-in-law tongue. Because there's gnats that, um, fungus gnats that live in plants. And so I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if that's what they are because I get like, I've, I don't have the problem now um, just because I've learned how to deal with it, but I would get fungus gnats. And that's another thing. I, I had about 80, over 80 plants in here, man, it got, it, it escalated really quickly. <laughs> like, <laughs> Where did you get your plants from? Did you, I mean, like Lowe's, Home Depot and stuff, or were you going someplace Um, else? So I would go to the fancy, I would go to the nurseries. The nurseries had, they had some of the more interesting plants. Like I would collect things that I was really into variegated plants, like plants that have different colored leaves, like the green and white leaves and stuff like that. Um, I was really into pink plants. And so a lot of the stuff that I was interested in, you, I'd have a greater chance of finding it at a nursery than going to Lowe's or Home Depot. But now Lowe's is getting into getting some of the more interesting plants that everybody wants to collect. So, and it's really piques my interest to want to collect more plants, <laughs> even what, though I just tossed a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you think is like the most interesting plant that you have had? The one the and most interesting to look at, oh, it's the, um, there's a begonia. It's called begonia maculata. It's got these big, and it's also, um, people 
call it angel wing begonia or something like that. But it's got these giant polka dot, like these giant polka dots on the leaves, like these bright silvery dots on the leaves. And because it, when you think about a plant, you don't think of them having as having like these really interesting you know, patterns on them. I mean, because you're used to seeing what your grandma had in her house. She had a philodendron or a pothos, you know, some regular plant. Mm-hmm. But then I saw this plant and it's got polka dots on it. <laughs> like, <are you laughs> kidding me? And I went on a mad search for this plant because everybody wanted it at the time. It was difficult to, to find it. And when you would find it, you'd have to pay a lot of money to get it. Like and by a lot of money, I'm, th- I'm saying, I'm thinking like, for like two or three leaves, you're paying fifty, sixty dollars for it, you know. Oh my gosh! And so you know, now the prices aren't. I, I've seen the prices come down on them, but yeah, there got, truly is a butt for every seat. Like I can't imagine <laughs> somebody being like, "I'm trying to track down this plant, this polka dotted, spotted. <laughs> I don't even know what a, a, a macaroni plant. What a maculata." Yeah, begonia maculata. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, like when you're really nerdy about it, you know, like the scientific names of the plants. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> even lay people are like into the scientific names of the plants because they just nerd out on it and it's really fun. And you know, anytime you get in a room with people who enjoy the same thing you enjoy, it's fun to to kind of talk about it and use the lingo and stuff. Did you ever name your plants? You had 80, 80 little plant babies at some point. Do you ever give them like people names or anything? Some of them. I had one. Um, so there are plants that, there's a couple plants that people have given me. Um, so I have this, you can't see it, but it's called the um, Crimson Queen or uh, Princess. I can't remember. It's a Hoya. But, I don't know if you know Hoyas, but I named it after the person who gave it to me. Her name is Amanda. So I, um, or Mandy, and I, I named it after her. And I had one, I called her Earlene. Earlene. Because it's in a pot. I, mean, I don't know if you've seen those pots that look like faces. Yes. So I put, I put, Earlene in that and so it gave it a face and so it needed like an old lady name and so I, <laughs> I called it Earlene I, I do not have a green thumb Joe has a green thumb thank goodness I do not and I, I think it's maybe it's just a block that I've got to get over but when I was in elementary school I wanted a Chia Pet I wanted a Chia Pet so bad and I, I got a Chia Pet this little Chia dog they didn't have anything really cool. It was like a dog or a cat or a pig for some reason. That was like the three kinds you could get. So I got a chia, a chia pet. I think it was a dog. And, you know, I'm looking at the instructions and you get it out of the box. It's just like a planter and they've got like a little bag of seeds. Well, obviously it's a plant. Um, well, I was going to try to figure out how to do this. And I remember you had to like mix the the seeds up with a little bit of water and they were specific about it. You had to make it a paste. So you kind of like smeared it around. And my oldest brother, I, he, I'll never let him live this down. He was like, ah, come on. We don't need that. Here, we'll just do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. He was in a hurry to get somewhere, I guess. I don't know. So he came in there and he said, ah, we don't need it. Just pour water in and swish it up and, you know. 
And I thought, oh, that's not how you how it says to do it. He's like, it's fine. I'm like, well, all right. And it was so runny. And we tried to spoon that stuff over the chia. It just dripped right off. <laughs> that poor little chia dog, nothing happened with it. <laughs> nothing happened with it. And I just kept hoping, kept dreaming, praying about this stupid chia dog. Got a plastic bag thinking maybe it's too cold. Maybe we should warm it up and maybe it needs a humid environment. Uh-huh. And so we put a little plastic bag and kind of put it, made a, a little greenhouse in a piggly wiggly bag or something and put it in the sun and it would like, it was dead. It never had a chance. Never had a chance. He killed my, my poor Chia pet. And so after, ever since then, I think it, it's just been a curse. Mm-hmm. But sorry. That's okay. It's- you know another reason why I know I don't know if you want to continue talking about plants. No, <laughs> let's by all means let's go. But another reason why I think I got obsessive about it is because, um, I, because so I got one plant and then I was like I could you know I was known before this I would kill plants and I'm like my biology cred is just tanked. You know I can't if I can't keep up. If I can't keep a plant alive, you know, what kind of biologist am I? You know, so then it just became this, like, I'm trying to prove to myself that I can keep these things alive. And, you know, when they started to die, I would, like, figure out how to, you know, what was wrong with them. And then they would start to live again. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And then I started collecting more and more, you know. And then all of them have all these different requirements and stuff. And for a time, it was fun. But, you know, I think I've proven to myself that I could do it now. And I'm just like, okay, bye. You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to get rid of some more. But, yeah. Uh, it's a trap. It's such a trap. Like, thinking about, I, I, I don't consider myself a gardener. But, I mean, talk to me again in a couple of weeks. Because we've been doing some work out there. I've got, I, I bought 20 bags of soil or something to go in this raised bed. It's going to be phenomenal. We went out there, planted some seeds. For the first time in my adult life, I have a dedicated outdoor space, and I am determined to grow some vegetables and some flowers and make some stuff happen. But I had no idea. Like, you don't know what you don't know. Like, when I started knitting, I thought, oh, I've seen yarn. Like, I obviously, it's like yarn. How how, how different can string be? Mm-hmm. And then you really hop down that rabbit hole. So I was looking at seeds and I would routinely for about three or four weeks, I would stay up until like two o'clock in the morning looking at seeds. I would have $100, $150 worth of seeds in my shopping cart. Two o'clock would roll around and I'd go, what is wrong with you? What, what are you doing? And I'd just delete it all. Two days later, I do exactly the same thing on a different site. Ooh, maybe I can look at... Ooh, look, Etsy. They sell seeds on Etsy. <laughs> and then you hop down that... Oh, my gosh, look, it's little Chinese lantern plants. Oh, they've got 17 kinds of blueberries. <laughs> oh. Yep, that's how it goes. It's a, it's a mess. So... <laughs> oh. So, you're a, you're a plant... A plant caretaker I, I would say plant mama but you just threw away a bunch of your children um <laughs> it didn't hurt though i don't know why okay i'm a bad mother okay <laughs> uh we sometime ask me about my my pet fish i had in college we'll we're gonna talk about that some other time when when it's off the record because i am a, 
I'm a murderer. Uh, so <laughs> it got it got very dark very quick. No, uh, so, okay. So you you're into plants, but also I want to talk about knitting because that's how I first met you. We've known each other for how long? I don't know. I, you know, if I were ever married, I'd be I'd suck at remembering like major dates and stuff because I don't remember. But oh. it was what. 2010s something 2010 maybe even okay 2009 2010 it was it's it's been a minute that's Mm -hmm. for sure so i just remember i have this very vivid memory of we're sitting in a panera at our thursday night briar creek raleigh north carolina knitting group Mm -hmm. and you were like in the corner working on this beautiful sweater it was like a and this is where my memory is kind of like overlapping. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but it was like a blackberry stitch, but it was also blackberry colored. It was like this nice, rich purple. Mm-hmm. And you're working on a sweater. Do you remember? Do you remember that sweater? Mm-mm. I don't. I cannot remember that. It was so pretty. It was like this really rich, purpley blue color, and like it. It had an old, like an all over pattern. Mm-hmm. I think you said it was a blackberry stitch of some kind, but it was like little, it wasn't like bobbles or anything. It was like, but it was textured. And I just thought that was so cool that not only are you making something that intricate, I think you were designing it. Probably. I can't remember. I'm sorry. I can't even remember back that far. But the color of the yarn is probably right because that's my favorite (laughs) color. (laughs) So. all right. <laughs> so who taught, how did you get into knitting? Who taught you how to knit? How, you did crocheting first, right? The how internet. Did, the the internet. internet. Yeah. I just went and found a couple of, no, actually a combination of, <laughs> a combination of books and the internet. So I got one of those basic, um, you know, learn how to knit, like those books that you get from, and I remember I got it from AC Moore. So I got some knitting needles and, you know, some red heart because that's all I knew at the time. There's nothing wrong with red heart. I still use red heart, but, you know, there's some yarn snobs. Out. <laughs> but, you know, some red heart and um, the book. And I remember sitting in the bed and I was trying to like, you know, trying to handle these needles in this yarn all at the same time. And because I'm an overachiever and I couldn't get it as quickly as I wanted to get it i remember throwing the <laughs> i remember throwing the needles in the book across the room it was like oh and i just went to bed it's like and then the next morning i woke up and i was like i am not gonna let these knitting needles like destroy me <laughs> i have to learn how to do this so um i tried it again you know and you know got better and then it was just um it was just going on the internet and finding videos because I had to see people, people's fingers because those stills that they put in those books, sometimes, you know, you really, I need to see movement. Sometimes mm-hmm. you need to see actual hands moving in order to get it. So, um, and I just, that's, I mean, that's how I, that's how I learned. I learned how to crochet 
my grandmother taught me. She taught me, but she only taught me how to make a change. She probably would have taught me more, but that's all I could do. And I wasn't really that interested. So I would sit there and make, you know, like a six foot long chain of red heart. <laughs> and then I didn't know what to do with it. So that, that didn't last very long. Um, but a similar, well, I, I won't say it's actually that similar. I, I, I learned to knit from a lady in a shop. I was in college. I was about to graduate I was really kind of stressed, a lot of personal stuff in my life and and just general graduating and what am I going to do with the rest of my life kind of stuff. And uh, I had been speaking to somebody on campus and they, were, uh, and they were helping me through that and they were saying, oh, well, you know, you can meditate. And I tried that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in here. I'm just sitting on the floor in the dark. Like, I feel like I'm doing this wrong. Um, and they said, try mm-hmm. exercise. And I did try that once back in, you know, 2007. I don't know. I could take it or leave it. So that wasn't for me. But I was uh, walking through the square of this uh, tiny little town in Alabama, Jacksonville, Alabama. Um, There's like two stoplights. Both of them are red. And there was this yarn store and there was uh, a spinning wheel in the front window. And I remember thinking, I bet that's really calming. Mm -hmm. I've got about 50 bucks to spare. I'll go in and get a spinning wheel and then I'll be good to go. Yeah. So I went in there. I was ready. I was like, I'm going to make this purchase. I'm going to splurge. I'm, you know, I told the lady, I said, I've got $50. I'm, I'm willing to spend up to $50 on the spinning wheel. And she's like, well, that's cute. But that one is $550. And they go up from there. I'm like, okay. Um, so I was just like, I turned, I was about to walk out and she goes, hey, wait, 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 hang on. I make a deal with you. If you buy some yarn and some needles, I'll teach you how to knit for free. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, that's pretty economical. I'll, I'll, I'll go for that. So the first thing I did, I think it was a scarf. And I was like, that's kind of all I would have wanted anyway. I like scarves and I, you know, so then I was off to the races. I, I, everybody's got a scarf. I mean, I, I went down to the Hobby Lobby. I was like, this is great. Look at this yarn. It comes in every color and it's like super fuzzy and sparkly. <laughs> People are going to love this. <laughs> So I went through that phase of making a hundred scarves that are kind of short and kind of skinny and scratchy. And, um, but yeah, then I was hooked. I was like, this is such a a nice way for me to, to keep my hands occupied and to use my time and like Mm -hmm. give me something to like ground me and focus me. Mm -hmm. Did you, now you said that you went to AC more and you got a a kit. Were you looking to, to learn or, or were you just, in AC more for some other nefarious reason and thought this looks fun. (laughs) Some other nefarious crafty reason. (laughs) Um, I think I went there specifically because around that time I was like, okay, you need to learn to knit because I wanted at the time what I called a more professional looking sweater, you know? Um, And so as I I think I I must've specifically went in I specifically went into, um, I don't know if you heard that. I, I did, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dog. If you uh, hear anything weird, it's probably the kid lives upstairs, so it's fine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I went in specifically for that. Yeah. And you know, I, like you, I started off with, a, you know, the, logically, you know, you wanted the, the next big project once you learn the stitches is to do a scarf. So, 
I think I told you before in the in the previous um or one of the previous podcasts that started with the scarf but then got bored and then was like I'm about to knit this sweater that I'm doing this for you know I, the purpose of me learning to do this is to do this sweater and I didn't know anything but I learned it along the way the arm the <laughs> and I remember the sleeve cap was too big for the armhole so I had to rip it out and whatever but you know it doesn't matter I still have that sweater too do you ever wear it I have not worn it it's packed away somewhere but it was this beautiful red heart it was like this um variegated it had like this deep rust and brown and beige I I, I thought it was so pretty mm. mm-hmm that is so cool that you just dove right into making sweaters. I, I mean, I probably made 75 scarves before I did anything different. Like I was just like, I had one stitch in mind and I thought, well, I did it in this yarn. I'll do it in this color next. And I was totally content to do that one thing. And it took me forever to try to make my first sweater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what people like. People have their own sort of paths to, mm-hmm. to, I guess, advancement, I guess is what you know, to try something a little bit more difficult than, than like a scarf or whatever. And I know some people who just, they just knit scarves and they're fine with that. And that's good. I mean, because they do it for, just for the movement and the enjoyment, the sense of accomplishment, you know, like whatever their reasons are, you know, if, if that's what you want to want to do, do it. Because I know people also who just make Afghans. That's all they meant, you know? So. I'm a blanket person too, because I always get knee deep in it and go, oh my God, why did I do this? I really am getting bored with this. But I like that it's something that is just simple. I don't have to think about it. If I was going to have plants, it'd all be the same plant. Y'all are all getting water at the same time, at the same day, same temperature. <laughs> no, like I'm making one meal and everybody's eating it. I'm not making you <laughs> grilled cheese and you getting eggplant parmesan. Everybody's getting the same thing. <laughs> So a blanket's nice because you can do one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like all that fiddly stuff, actually. So you learned to knit with a book and with YouTube after you threw everything across the floor. But now <laughs> you are not only an amazing knitter, you're a knitwear designer and not just a knitwear designer where you make stuff for yourself. You are a published designer. Like you have designs that people, right? People will buy your patterns. Like that's amazing. You are in magazines. Can we talk about that? Yeah. What do you want to know? Uh, everything. Don't, <laughs> don't leave out a, a like blessed why, detail. Why? So you want to know like how I got started doing it? Yeah. How did you get into that? I think in the beginning I started with the um so I, I so once I learned to knit I fell in love with it and then started a blog. And then I learned about um I learned about knitwear design just by seeing other people doing it. And I was like, what really regular people do it? Because I never knew like and, and this sounds naive, but I never knew you see all the pattern books, but you don't know how those patterns get into the books, you know. You, you think maybe the yarn companies have their own people, you know, to do them. You don't know the ins and outs of, of how to do that. And then so you learn, oh, they, they ask the public to, you know, to, to, to submit ideas. Um, and so I'm like, okay, 
I wonder if I could do that. That's how a lot of things start with me. I'm like, I wonder if I could do X, you know, and then I'm obsessed, you know, with learning how to do X, you know. So I remember emailing um, a couple of magazines and asking, you know, how do I get into your magazine? Um, and they would, and then that's when I learned about, um, if they have a list, you tell them that you want to be as part of their like designers list, it's some version of like a designer's list or whatever. Um, so they, you tell them of your interest, they put your name on your email address on this list. And so whenever they are looking for new designs for a new issue, they will send you an email, send emails to the people on, you know, this list or whatever saying, this is what we're looking for. This is the submission deadline. Um, and I just did, I can't remember what my first one was. My first one magazine it must have been interweave because interweave and vogue knitting were the main magazines that i was really really into um and so i was like okay are you, we're gonna do this so what was my first gosh i think it was was it the um, twist collective back in 2011 i think it was even before that there, there was before that and the magazine is not around anymore um, it was one out of the UK and they, they had a, a blog and a site where, um, you know, they, they would just post patterns and stuff like that. And so I sent in a design idea and they were like, like uh, yeah, we'll accept it. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, and so now you have to, you have to produce, so you, you have to, you have to start designing and knitting and, you know, and all this other stuff in order to get the design to them. So you said that when you sent in an, an idea, like your knitting idea, what does that entail? Was it like a sketch or was it like more detailed than that? Or Yeah, so usually, generally they ask for a sketch. And it doesn't have to be a pretty sketch. Like if you're not, if you're not an artist, you know, don't even, you know, don't sweat it, you know, do the best you can, as long as you can get your, your, your ideas across. So they asked for a sketch, um, a, a picture of a swatch. Well, back then it was, you had to send in a swatch. Like now, um, there's a lot of people are, a lot of magazines are accepting emailed submissions but before you had to send everything you know they had to have the swatches in hand so you had a swatch and it has to be in the yarn that you envision your piece to be in so if you want it to be in worsted weight yarn you have your swatch has to be in worsted weight yarn um and then you you explain it you explain um give a little bit of information about your um your, what your inspiration is for this piece, um, you give information about the construction of, of it. Like if it's if it's knitting around, you say this will be knitting around because a lot of people it, the piece hasn't been made yet. It's just an idea, so you give them information about how it's going to be constructed. Um, your swatches, if there's a special construction, it would be good for you to show that in your swatches. 
um, if you can. Mm. Uh, some people want to see previous things that you've done. Some people don't care. Um, I tend to put information about previous stuff that I've done, especially if, if I'm new to the magazine. I want them to know that I've done this before. You know? Right. <laughs> like, I've done this before. Um, what else? And sometimes they put um, little extra things that they may want. But, I mean, if you, you say you envision this to be in this size range, um, you know, then you put that in there. So whatever it is that explains your design and how it's constructed, that's what you write. And then you, you send it to them. And then, by, you know, by the date, and you hope that, you know, out of all of the ones that they've looked at, that they choose you. <laughs> wow. That reminds me of something that may or may not be true. If uh, anybody listening at home, if you have any details about this, please let me know. Uh, as I remember it, there was uh, this little anecdote that George Gershwin had uh, agreed to write this new piece for like the, the symphony or something, or it was like a piano concerto. He was going to write this new piece. And then he forgot about it. He forgot that he made this deal. And he was walking around New York and he looked over and saw this big billboard advertising this amazing new piece that was going to debut like next week. And he was like, oh, crap, I better write something. And that something ended up being Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That's what this kind of sounds like is you say, oh, I've got this really cute idea for a sweater. It's going to be sort of like a, you know, a boat neck up here and it's going to sort of taper down or whatever. And, and, and then they say, that's great. You have you have like three or four weeks to make it happen. And then you go, Oh, okay. How do, how do I, <laughs> how do I make that happen? I know. And you, I mean, and it, they, you just do it, you know, you don't, you don't say, well, can I have more time? Especially if you're new, you know, you don't want to tell them what you want, you know? So if they give you short, you know, if they give you whatever time they give you, you want to make sure you make the deadline, but they usually give you a couple months. Hmm. Do you think that people like, like, would it be, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this process. If I was going to do it, I would want to make sure that I knew what I was doing before I approached anybody. Like, do you think that that's a thing that people do is like, Hey, here's a sweater I designed. Are you interested? Um, or do you think it's more people kind of, for lack of a better phrasing, like kind of flying by the seat of their pants going like, Hey, I've got this great idea for this colored block sweater. I haven't worked out the, all the details, but it's going to look like this and this. I think it's probably a combination of both. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because technically, I don't, some people might disagree with this, but I think they don't care what your level of expertise is as long as you can give them what you said you were going to give them. Mm -hmm. So if you, even if you haven't worked out, you know, or the details or whatever, if you can give them what you said you were going to give them by the time you need to turn it in, if they accept it, then, you know. If you like what you hear and want to help keep this podcast going, consider becoming a sponsor today. Your monthly donations directly help sustain future episodes and keep the crafty goodness flowing. For more information, go to anchor.fm slash socially distant craft club slash support, or click the link in the episode description. So you learned to knit with a book 
and with YouTube after you threw everything across the floor. But now <laughs> you are not only an amazing knitter, you're a knitwear designer and not just a knitwear designer where you make stuff for yourself. You are a published designer. Like you have designs that people, right? People will buy your patterns. Like that's amazing. You are in magazines. Can we talk about that? Yeah. What do you want to know? At everything. Don't, <laughs> don't leave out a, a blessed like, why, detail. Why? So you want to know like how I got started doing it? Yeah. How did you get into that? I think in the beginning I started with the, um, so I, I, so once I learned to knit, I fell in love with it and then started a blog. And then I learned about, um, I learned about knitwear design just by seeing other people doing it. And I was like, what really regular people do it? Cause I never knew like, and, and this sounds naive, but I never knew you see all the pattern books, but you don't know how those patterns get into the books, you know? You, you think maybe the yarn companies have their own people, you know, to do them. You don't know the ins and outs of, of how to do that. And then so you learn, oh, they, they ask the public to, you know, to, to, to submit ideas. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I wonder if I could do that. And that's how a lot of things start with me. I'm like, I wonder if I could do X. You know, and then I'm obsessed, you know, with learning how to do X, you know. So I remember emailing um, a couple of magazines and asking, you know, how do I get into your magazine? Um, and they would, and then that's when I learned about, um, you know, they have a list. You tell them that you want to be as part of their, like, designer's list. It's some version of, like, a designer's list or whatever. Um so they, you tell them of your interest. They put your name on your email address on this list. And so whenever they are looking for new designs for a new issue, they will send you an email. They send emails to the people on you know this list or whatever saying, this is what we're looking for. This is the submission deadline. Um, and I just did. I can't remember what my first one was. My first one magazine it must have been interweave because interweave and vogue knitting were the main magazines that i was really really into um and so i was like okay are you, we're gonna do this so what was my first gosh i think it was was it the um, twist collective back in 2011 i think it was even before that there, there was before that and the magazine is not around anymore um, it was one out of the UK and they, they had a, a blog and a site where, um, you know, they, they would just post patterns and stuff like that. And so I sent in a design idea and they were like, like uh, yeah, we'll accept it. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, and so now you have to, you have to produce, so you, you have to, you have to start designing and knitting and you know and all this other stuff in order to get the design to them
So you're a knitwear designer, you're a plant person, you also make cards. When did that, cards and candles, when did that start? Cards oh. started a couple years ago. A friend of mine who, she's also a scientist, we work at the same, we, we both work for the National Institutes of Health, and she works downstairs for me, and she just happened to, she knew I was crafty. So she's like, you know, I have this friend, we have card making, you know, card making group at her house. Um, you want to come? And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> and I've been obsessed ever since. Like, when I, it, I've just been obsessed. And so I've been making more cards over, you know, since we've been in quarantine. Um, crafting has really gotten me through like this whole quarantine thing and um and card making has been the craft that I would go to the most because you could get a finished product really quickly um so I've been making cards and making cards and making cards and then it turned into this thing like I want to make people happy happy and so I wanted to send people cards so I would make the cards and I'd be so excited making the cards because I'm like I'm gonna send these people some sunshine even though we're locked away like <laughs> and so um you know for me it just I don't know people I love making cards because people don't expect it people don't um you know people love it when they know that you're thinking about them and they get a card from you that you made, you know, especially for them. Um, I, I really think people get a kick out of it. And so, and I get a kick out of making people happy. And so I think with me, card making allows me to tap into that part of me that needs to give to people, sort of. Like, even if it's quote unquote, just a card, you know? I love that. It's, and it's not, I love the quotes. It's not just a card. It's, yeah. you know, even if you are going out and just buying a card and sending somebody a card, it's such a nice thought, but you're making it from scratch. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So, so you went to card making kind of during the quarantine. Like what, what are some of your designs? Like, how do you, how do you come up with your ideas? Do you, are they original or are you it's, like in, so you're, I was going to say, are you in like, um, card making Instagram territory where you're like looking at everybody's <laughs> hashtags and stuff. Yep. So I have, um, I follow people on Instagram because um, I'm in the card making group. And since quarantine, we've been meeting every, every Sunday um, at two o'clock. And we learn a different technique, like a different way to fold, fold the cards or to decorate the cards or whatever. So I get ideas from those ladies and they, oh my God, they put they put me to shame sometimes. Um, Pinterest, of course, if you're a crafty person, you know, you know, Pinterest is the place to go. And then sometimes I'll just grab a whole bunch of stuff out, you know, I'm like, I feel like glitter today. And I'll go... <laughs> I'll find some glitter cards and then like I have all these um dies. I have a die cutting machine. I also for Christmas last year I bought myself a, a silhouette, uh like the small silhouette portrait thing. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh um so I'm looking up because there's a lot whole bunch of like dies. I have a shelf right here and there's like dies all up up there. 
and I'll just throw stuff on my craft table and you know shift it around and see oh how would this look how would this look and then come up with the design you know it 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 it, it really is a mix of inspiration you know sources of inspiration for card making so for card making and candles and and I mean, obviously, you're you knit for yourself and others, and uh, you sell your designs. But do you do you sell your cards or candles anywhere? Do you have like a website or? So, so occasionally I will. I don't have any formal, um, not for the cards. So sometimes I'll get it in me that I want to sell cards to people through my Facebook thing, you know, and then my friends will send me way more money than I'm asking for. Like I'll say. Done this card for five dollars, and then they'll send twenty dollars. You know, I'm like okay, yeah, you know, they're just really they they understand or appreciate like handmade stuff or whatever. Mm. But I don't have like an official the card making thing. I usually I really just do it just for me, and you know, just to really for me make people happy or whatever. The candles, whew, that's the candle thing started out. Um, <laughs> this it's one of those things that starts out, you know, you're like, I wonder if I can make candles <laughs> because I started, I started buying can- a lot of candles um, because I wanted to be Zen and, you know, be tranquil in the house or whatever. And so I would go to Yankee candle all the time and I have so many candles um, and then, of course, if you're a crafter, the next logical thing is, I wonder if I can make a candle. <laughs> can I make this? I yeah, like how so, both of our journeys kind of started with, I need to really focus on mindfulness and like slowing down. And then our brain goes, nah, nah. <laughs> exactly. And so I just start, I, you know, AC Moore was still around at the time. And I went to AC Moore and got some basic stuff and and candle making is way more intricate than I thought it was. It's not, you just, you can't just add, you know, however much fragrance you want to a, to a wax and burn it. You have to have the right percentage of wax. I mean, the right percentage of fragrance oil to wax. If I'm going to sell it, I have to do, um, burn tests, um, and to, to, quote unquote cover my ass, I do what's called a um because people are only supposed to technically are only supposed to burn a candle for four hours at a time. But people light them up. And I was I used to do this too. They would light them up and then let them go all day. But then oh, you're not <laughs> supposed to do that. Huh? You're not supposed to do that. Mm-mm. Oh no. Burn them for four Yeah. And so but if I was going to sell them I want to make sure that the vessel that I have made the candle in is going to withhold, like, I mean, withstand a lot of the, um, the, uh, the heat that, yeah, that people are going to subject it to because most people don't know. Well, it says it on the candles. It says don't burn for more than four hours. But people Nobody don't. reads that. We all know how candles work. I don't need to read instructions for a candle. Nobody's Apparently I do. Yeah. So to, to make sure that if somebody does that, you know, you'll be, they'll be protected because I don't want anybody burning their house down. You know, mm-hmm. you have to do like these power burns and you want to do that with every wax fragrance oil combination that you offer to people, you know? 
And so, um, I thought the one that I gave you, all of that was done. So you don't have to worry about that. Oh, good. You should also know that part of the time I burned it outside anyway. So, okay. so, um, so there's a lot that goes into candle making. Um, I do want to sell it to people, but I want to make sure that, um, make sure that I have everything covered. So I've registered the name of the company, um, with Rot with North Carolina. And so I have to get insurance because I want to make sure, you know, that's the level of, that's why I haven't, um, I haven't started selling yet because I want to make sure that I'm doing this right and, and I'm doing it safely, Mm. you know? So I'm not selling them yet, like on a wider scale or a larger scale yet, but, um, but it's coming. It sounds like there's a lot of science when you have, or at least some science when you're making candles. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is, it, (laughs) It it is, and I think the draw for me was the fact that I felt like I had a lab at home. You know, like I feel like I have a lab at home when I get. You now, know, most I, people that have a lab at home, it's not for candles. Can we I just go ahead? And say, <laughs> <laughs> different kind of lab, <laughs> and a power burn would be something else. Also, <laughs> wait, Nikki, what kind of lab is this again? What what what? Are you <laughs> There's speakers and everything in there. It's funny. The FBI is listening to this call right now. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, oh man, I have thermometers and stuff in there, you know. And I have, so I've already, I have one candle, the the one that um, that you had. That's the one that I figured out all the details, like the right percentage, because I had to do like multiple multiple percentages per wax, and then I had to burn each one of those to figure out if after I burn it you're going to be able to smell it. Mm. Um, you have to make sure that when you make it, people can smell it before you burn it. That's called a cold throw. So you want to make sure that people know what they're getting. If you use too less, if you don't use enough fra- fragrance oil, you they won't be able to smell it. Surprise. You know, <laughs> if you use too much, then you they you could people can burn down their houses. And so you know, you don't want to do that. So it is like, you have to do that. And and I think, um, yeah, I, I just really want to make sure that before I do this, it's everything is safe. I have the one figure, the one fragrance that you have figured out, but I also want to, to offer other fragrances. So I have to do the same series of tests for each one. Like, wow. Yeah, because I, I had one that was like this lemon pound cake, and I was so excited about it, but it just will not do well in this one wax. It's just like, I'm like, do I, so I'm going to try another wax, like, mm. so, yep. Oh my gosh. That is, that that's fascinating. And I've got to say that I've really, I would love to have candles like homemade candles like i i like the idea of making my own candles and mm-hmm. uh my friend Suze, we would uh <laughs> we we would she got into candle making because she's she's kind of a multi-crafter i need to get her on the show and uh we would come up with these convoluted like mixtures of 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 
sense. And I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but like in my head, I wanted a, a candle that was called like mall boyfriend and it would smell like they have like an Abercrombie scent, which is <laughs> yeah, egregious. Uh, it would be like, Ab- like Abercrombie, uh, a cinnamon bun. Cause it's like cinnamon and like popcorn or something or like, and that's going to be like the smell of the mall or yeah. I don't know. I got to, I got to think it out. But I, to me, that's the fun part is coming up with what the yeah. sense. Um, but then I, I even stopped with the like, oh, but then I have to like heat something up on the stove. I don't want to get into all that. You're over here doing like multiple tests and percentages with thermometers and beakers and stuff. Yep. <laughs> I'll let you do that. I can't, <laughs> I'll let you do that. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. What struggles have you faced? Like, like it could be overcoming struggles like within a certain avenue of crafting, or it could just be a personal life thing that crafting helped you get through. Like, have there been any kind of struggles that have, especially with with COVID? Like, I think you said that you like the the gift or the um, greeting card thing helped you to kind of get through that place. Like, do you, is there anything that you wanted to talk about with that, or anything else? Yeah, I think, I mean, and just in addition to, you know, being able to make other people happy, it's calming your brain down from the anxiety that came with this quarantine. Um, Because I was constantly, I think, because I'm a scientist and I knew what could happen and, you know, stuff like that, I think anybody would know, who took this seriously would know, you know, that I, you could get sick and, you know, stuff like that. I was really taking it seriously, but it was always on my mind. When I would step out, I would step out of the house, I'd have to go to the store, I would be so, like, paranoid. Like, do you have COVID? Don't give it to me. You know, like, I was so paranoid. And even when I, you know, I was in the house, I was like, I gotta go to the store. Oh my God, I don't want to go out because COVID. But crafting and, you know, especially card making, um, has really helped to calm my brain down. Um, because if my brain has something else to focus on besides the anxiety that came with the COVID, you know, you know, then, you know, then, then I, I was good. So I was crafting like a mad woman. Like I would make cards and then I would go knit something. Um, you know, I would tend to the plants. Sometimes I literally, like, I would stand in front of the plants and just look at looking at them and knowing that they've grown because of something that I did. You know, I was, you know, it was, it calmed me down. And sometimes at night I still do that. I stand there and I look at the plants and I'm really calm. And so crafting has really, really helped me to, to calm down. It, it, it really, it really has. And... I know it's done the same for other people. One of the reasons um, the woman who runs the the card making group, one of the reasons she's done this was so that we can all still have a forum where we can get together and sort of think about other things, you know, still be able to do the things that we enjoy doing in the midst of this this craziness. So, um, so yeah, crafting has really helped me to, to calm my brain down during during all of this 
if you had to give somebody, like, do you have any advice for somebody starting something brand new, like something, whether it's card making or whether it's candle making or, or anything, if somebody is starting something creative brand new, like what, what kind of advice would you give them? So lately I have been reading these books about like, um, how to use your brain to, to like advance in life. Um, and one of the, I don't know, just lately I've just been into these, there's a book by, um, Jim Quick where he teaches you how to, there's a number of things, but he teaches you how to improve your memory. Um, so I, for some reason, I've just been into these books on, you know, brain function and stuff like that. So I, you know, I was reading that. And one of the, one of the things he teaches you is generally how to, how to remember things and how to study. Um, and some tip that he gives you, even though it's not specifically, this is, this should apply to everything in life is just to, um, sometimes you can't just do everything at once just do little by little and i've heard you say i've heard you say this before like some inch by inch inch by inch everything's a cinch yeah um because sometimes i'll have like these giant ideas in my head and you know i'm like oh that's good and then i'm like oh that's a lot of work (laughs) you know but if you you really want to see it done um to make it less overwhelming for you, just take it little, little by little. Um, I think before in a previous podcast, I was like, just jump in head first, you know, just jump, <laughs> just jump in head first, or however the, the phrase goes, but just jump right in and do it. And I think, I still think that that's, that's good. But when you find yourself overwhelmed with, you know, a lot of, your cra- the crafty things that you want to do, I think it, you have to kind of step back and say, okay, you, I want to do all these things. I want to make 12 note cards to send to my friends. <laughs> and I also want to knit, you know, and for me, my brain gets jumbled. You know how when you're so overwhelmed with things you want to do, you just can't really do them? You know, you, you don't know where to start. Um, and you can, you can still do everything. You just have to pull back a little bit and little by little until you get get to where you want to be so I think that'd be my advice well Nikki thank you so much thank you thank you thank you so much for for taking all this time to talk to me and it's it's so good to see you it's so good to hear your voice and just to to have the time to to catch up this has been really great fun thank you so much thanks for thinking about me i was like okay i'll do the podcast (laughs) every time i see yarn in that color of that original i'm going to call it the blackberry sweater i think of you like i'm not kidding if i see this like rich Uh bluish purple color i'm like there she is that's me i love like a rich yushi purpley color Mm. you know i love that it just makes you know how your favorite color just makes your brain happy yes to the Socially Distant Craft Club podcast. Today's special guest was Nikki Reeves. Nikki, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and just having a chat with me. 
It's been way, way, way too long, and I miss those old-school knit-night days. This was fun. So if you're listening along at home and you really like what you hear, of course you can become a sponsor. Uh, But the best way that you can help without costing anything, you wouldn't have to spend a nickel, is just to leave a review for me. That would help out a lot. Or if you think that there might be somebody else that would enjoy this podcast, feel free to spread the good news, share it, or have a listening party and talk about how stupid my voice sounds. I don't really care as long as you share it with your friends. <laughs> I was just kidding. Um, anyway, that's that's it. That's our show. Uh, thank you so much for sticking through to the end. And um, I look forward to making the next episode of the Socially Distant Craft Club podcast. But until then, let's make something together. <laughs>